Greetings, children, and welcome to my chamber. My name is Rotherick Gastblood, and I'm your host of Tales from the Dark Chamber. This week, we have a great show for you. Tales to make your skin crawl. Each week, my chambermate and I read a scary tale that we found on the internet, or perhaps left under some corpse. Either way, we think you're going to like it, and we're just dying for you to hear it. So sit right back, light a candle, and let's have a ghoul evening. Hey, Rothery, dude, do you mind cleaning up the kitchen after making your infamous head cheese? The place is starting to reek. Hmm, sensitive lately, aren't we, Woody? Why, don't you just love the smell of rotting meat? Uh, no, it's rather repulsive. Did you even bother to refrigerate that gastric abomination you made, or is it festering into a rancid pile of fetid and putrid compost? Actually, I did refrigerate it. It's quite tasty, compared to the linguine and scallops you made last week. Linguine and scallops I made when? What linguine and Oh, wait. And... Uh, I guess I owe you an apology. Seems I put the leftovers in a microwave instead of the refrigerator. And, well, all I have to say is, dang, I never knew scallops could smell that bad. You should get a whiff of your breath in the morning. What was that, Rothrick? Oh, what I said was, it smells like the wonderful bread in the morning. Yeah, right, I hear you. So, I guess I'll be cleaning up the kitchen this time, huh? Sorry about all that. Oh, no worries, Woody. These things happen. So, about tonight's story, are we going to hear what happens to Stan and the rest of the unfortunates tonight? Oh, yes. I'll go ahead with the story, and then I'll clean up the kitchen. Is that okay with you? I wasn't the one complaining. But if you insist on cleaning the kitchen and ridding it of that lovely perfume... I guess I can wait until after the story. Proceed. (laughs) You got it, Ricky. So where we left off last week, Stan was still in the hospital. A stranger named Max, Patrick, Nurse Phyllis, and Officer Richards are there with him, and they were accosted by these reanimated heads. After the melee, only Stan, Max, Patrick, and Phyllis remain. But one more, Bathim, is still after Stan. Tonight, we find out how this series ends in About Daniel, Part 5. Enjoy! About Daniel, Part 5, by Sunfred Another earth-chattering knock emanated from the door. The fourth knock was more of an aggressive bang that desperately wanted to break down the door. From then, a hailstorm of bangs assaulted the door as it shook enough to cause an icy ball to form in my stomach. What the hell? Patrick muttered under his breath. Phyllis walked away from her corner and stood next to my bed. 
whatever or whomever was on the other side of the door, was now in multitudes. The loud knocking began to spread. The walls, the windows, the ceiling, and ground began to convulse as multiple bangs came from all angles of my room. It was so strange how I couldn't see anyone at the window, but I could definitely hear and see the glass tremble from being pounded aggressively. The light began to wildly flicker again. I jumped back into my bed, cradling my crucifix and revolver I took from Officer Richard's remains. I kept the colt trained at the door because I had a feeling that was where the main danger was going to come from. Patrick, who I had never really seen freaked out, had his eyes darting around the room, probably thinking of what to do. Okay, listen up, he finally said. I still have a little bit of holy water left. I will pour some on the door. You two pick up all this confetti and place it all on the windows and the walls. Understand? He had to scream all those instructions because the knocking all around us had reached ear-bursting volumes. Phyllis and I set out on the task we were given while Patrick sprinkled holy water on the door that seemed not to have long before it breaks down. When we were done, I shouted, Are you sure this is going to work? It has to. If it doesn't, we are royally screwed, Patrick loudly replied. To all our relief, the knocking stopped. Besides the noise of the still flickering fluorescent light, nothing else made a sound. Somehow, that made me more terrified than before. We all briefly looked at each other, wondering what to do next. I realized Patrick was about to say something, but another sound interrupted him. Heavy thuds, like something running on metal, resonated from the air vents. It sounded like overweight raccoons were playing a game of tag in the vents. The sound was getting louder, which meant that whatever was moving in the vents was heading our way. But as abruptly as the noise started, it stopped. What kind of rats do you have in this place? I asked Phyllis. Those are not rats, Patrick replied. And if they are, they are not normal rats. He looked at both air vent barriers in the room. Not even a baby can fit in there. So whatever is in there probably won't be able to get out, judging by how small those air vents are. Um, guys... Who put that statue there? Phyllis asked, pointing at the corner where she had been standing earlier. Patrick and I looked in the direction where her hand was pointing. I felt icicles scrape their way down my spine at what I saw. Standing in the corner of the room was a large statue of a woman with her head hanging down and her hands pressed together like she was in prayer. It was the typical Mary Magdalene statue that most Roman Catholic churches have. The statue was quite tall, about eight feet high, with its head almost reaching the ceiling. Where did that come from? Patrick asked, looking at me. I shrugged. Don't look at me. I didn't put it there. It's crying, Phyllis exclaimed. I looked back at the statue and saw a liquid dripping out of one of its eyes. Both eyes soon began exuding black slime onto the floor, and a puddle formed around its feet. Black cracks started sprawling all over the statue as it shook like a boiling pot. All of a sudden, the statue exploded, sending several fragments of stones and dust flying all over the room. I was trounced by a rather large stone on my forehead, and I fell back on my bed. I placed a hand on the spot I was hit, and I felt a lump already forming. I sat up, only to realize Patrick and Phyllis had also been assaulted by flying debris from the statue, and both of them had fallen. Patrick was getting up and groaning in pain. I heard Phyllis whimper as she slowly stood up. I heard another groan coming from Max, who was finally waking up. He stood up and looked at his wrists, which were now both free of cuffs. What did I miss? he asked as he looked around. He didn't wait for a reply, and his eyes focused on the corner where the statue was, and he screamed, What the fuck is that? 
I looked back at the corner, and I was instantly filled with horror. Dr. Davidson was standing at the exact spot the statue had been. His height was the same as that of the statue. There was something disproportionate and very wrong about his body. His very long legs seemed to have extra bones, which appeared to be what was giving him such an unbelievable height. His waist was curved to the right while his knees were bending to the left. He was thinner than the last time I saw him. His chest was popped forward whilst his stomach was crooked backwards. His white coat and scrubs were soaked with black slime. His previously handsome face was now replaced by a hideous swollen head with several depressions and bumps all over. It was like his face was reacting to an allergy. His mouth hung open as a mixture of saliva and slime drooled on the floor. He floundered forward with the gait of a typical zombie. His bones made loud snapping sounds as he moved. Due to his height, his head knocked on the still flickering fluorescent light. The light went out, leaving us in the darkness with this creature. I could hear the doctor's heavy footsteps stomping towards my bed. His crepitating bones were very loud as he toddled in my direction. I heard Patrick scream, and then the sound of something or someone hitting the wall with a loud thud. Thankfully, Phyllis took out her phone and illuminated the room with a torch. Dr. Davison was standing right in front of her. She screamed before the doctor pushed her against the wall. Phyllis flew into the wall and dropped her phone on the ground. The phone fell in such a way that the torch was still able to light up the room. I saw the doctor climb up on my bed and crawl towards me on all four. One bullet right between the eyes was enough to make the doctor fly off my bed and slam into the door. He banged his spindly arms to the ground and heaved up to his feet. This time, he jogged towards my bed. He was crouching to avoid hitting the fluorescent light again. I shot four more bullets, and although they impeded him, they didn't stop him. He hopped on top of my bed and lifted one of his arms for a strike. Then I heard a swooshing sound. The doctor and I turned towards the source of the noise. Patrick was spinning his sword like karate chopsticks. Waves of water were still distilling from the spinning sword and raining on the doctor. He screamed and jumped off my bed. I thought he was going to attack Patrick, but he didn't. He ran back into his corner and cowered on the floor. Patrick kept sending water waves to the wince doctor. Dr. Davidson screamed as the sounds of crackling bones echoed from his body. White flames eventually lit up in his eyes and he passed out. I noticed his fallen body had turned back to normal. He no longer looked like an anorexic ogre with physical disabilities as he lay in the puddle of black slime. What the fuck was that? Max screamed as he stood up from below my bed where he was hiding. What is this black slime all over the place? Oh my God, the, those bones are... Is, is that the policeman? You need to calm down, man, Patrick said. Don't tell me to calm down. All this is crazy. Did you guys give me some kind of drug? Damn it. I need a cigarette, Max said as he marched towards the door. Patrick grabbed his arm and said, Don't open that damn door. Get your hands off me, pal. He's right. Don't open the door, Phyllis begged as she stood up with her phone in her hand. I don't take orders from you, Max said as he pulled his hand away from Patrick. When he reached the door, there was yet another foot stomping sound coming from the vents. This time, it was louder and definitely closer. The small barrier of one of the air vents was popped off, and a thin black hand shot out and gripped a full chuck of Max's hair. The hand pulled him towards the vent. Max screamed in terror, and his head was forced into the vent. Patrick tried to hold on to Max's body, but whatever was pulling from the other side had incomprehensible power. The sound of crackling bones reverberated in the room as Max's body was pulled into the tiny vent. 
Even when his whole body had been sucked in, Max continued screaming until we heard a crunching sound and scads of blood poured out of the air vent. Silence ensued from the room and from the air vents. The silence was soon broken by Phyllis's sobbing. She sat on my bed as she cried. We are all going to die, she sniveled. Don't worry, everything will be all right, Patrick said. Frankly, I was quite shocked that he said that. He had never seemed like the compassionate type to me. Even at work, he always exhibited a G.I. Joe persona that doesn't openly show any feelings. I was beginning to think he liked Phyllis. How can you possibly know that? Two people have already been killed, and we're stuck here being hunted by whatever it is in those vents and outside this room, Phyllis cried out. I know it looks rough right now, but trust me, I've been in these situations a lot of times. Most of those times, I've always made it out with at least one survivor, and in this case, you are that person, Patrick replied. Um, what about me? Stanford, you are definitely going to die. If this demon doesn't get you and you miraculously manage to survive this, I'm still going to kill you. Seriously, you are still mad at me? Damn right I am. Nothing would ever make me forgive you for what you did. What did you do? Phyllis asked me. Gunfire interrupted me before I could reply. Two loud bangs of probably a pistol came from outside the door. I heard footsteps running towards the door. A rapid rapping on the door then followed. Stanford, are you in there? Please let me in, a female voice called out. I had spent a lot of time around her to know her voice by now. Rebecca, I shouted and jumped off my bed. Patrick and Phyllis blocked my way before I ran for the door. We both know that's not her, Patrick said. Two more gunshots erupted from the other side of the door. Hurry up, Stan. Open the door. I am running out of ammo, the voice said. Don't be a fool. It's not Rebecca, and you know it. Don't give me another reason to hate you, Patrick said. Rebecca kept knocking and begging me to open the door. I had already let her down before, and I felt like crap for doing it. If it was really her on the other side of the door, and I am letting her down again, there would be no room for amending our relationship after this. I tried running for the door, but Patrick grabbed me and threw me onto my bed. Well, I have to put handcuffs on you. It could be her, I responded. Trust me, it's not, Patrick said. There was a loud smack on the door, and it nearly came off its hinges. It was as if someone had hit the door with a boulder. A voice then spoke up, and it definitely was not Rebecca's, or at least one I had never heard her use. How long do you think you can keep this up? A robotic bass boomed from the other side of the door. Patrick looked at me with an I told you so look. That look quickly changed to one of horror as I realized the skeletal hands from one of the vents had stretched out and grabbed his hair. It pulled Patrick's head into the air vent and he dropped his sword. Phyllis screamed as there was another bang on the door and this time a hole had appeared in the center. A black arm was sticking into the room. I grabbed my revolver, ran over to the vent, managed to squeeze the gun next to Patrick's head and fired two bullets. There was a guttural shriek from within and Patrick was free. Maybe Patrick's somewhat comforting words had motivated her because Phyllis dropped her phone on my bed, picked up Patrick's sword, and jabbed the ebony hand sticking into the room from the door. There was a shrill from the other side of the door, and the hand retreated. We could all hear deep breathing coming from outside the door. There was another bang on the door, and a voice spoke up. This time, it was softer and very familiar to me. Bathim, obviously. Is that how you want to play it, dear? Okay, 
I warned you of the consequences of this. Here is something to let you know I am very serious. Something flew through the hole of the door, and it landed right in the puddle of vomit and slime on the floor. Phyllis took her phone and shined on the object. It was a hand. A human hand. The middle finger had a golden ring embossed with a capital J. That was what made me knew whose hand it was. The hand's long, dirty fingernails made me more certain that the hand had belonged to none other than Joseph. My stomach felt like it was being constricted with barbed wire, and I stared at the hand in disbelief. He doesn't have a lot of time. If you would just let me in your body, I can... Patrick didn't let the demon finish because he snatched his sword from Phyllis and stuck it through the door hole. From the screams the demon made, it was obvious Patrick hid his mark. We heard footsteps scurry away from the door as the demon cursed at us. Whose hand is that? Phyllis asked. Joseph, I dryly replied. Is he a friend of yours? Yes, Phyllis. He is. I think that is what I said to her, but I'm not sure because at the time my mind was racing. I was thinking at what Bethim had done or will do to Joseph and Rebecca. Patrick got my full attention when he said, Thanks for saving me from whatever was in those vents. Does this mean you no longer want to kill me? Of course I do. If you survive all this shit, I may let you live for a week or two. How come all of a sudden it's so windy outside? Phyllis asked, staring out at one of the windows. There was just enough moonlight for me to notice that the wind had really picked up. In fact, it gained momentum to the point of uprooting trees. Well, actually one tree. A tall pine, which was just outside my room, had become airborne. It twirled around in midair for a while and then assailed towards us. Get down, Patrick screamed. Almost immediately, one of the windows was smashed open as the tree planted itself in my room. Its long trunk went on to burst open the door. Its branches and leaves were scattered everywhere. Patrick, Phyllis, and I had hid under the bed for cover. When we stood up, we became aware of the roses snaking through the window. The roses' petals were black and their long stems had a familiar red. About 20 or 30 of these roses were gliding into my room, accompanied by a vomit-inducing rotten smell. Phyllis's light managed to show us that the confetti we had placed on the windows had been dispersed by the tree's branches and leaves. We have to get out of here, Patrick screamed as he slashed at one of the roses. I took my revolver and crucifix as we back out of the room. I fired at the petals of three of the roses and they dissolved into black slime. In the hospital hallway, it was worse. More roses covered the walls and ceiling. As he swung his sword, Patrick ordered us to move towards the right side of the hallway, where there seemed to be less congestion of the demonic plants. But as he gave the order, a rose snaked down from the ceiling and coiled around Phyllis's neck. She was pulled up to the ceiling as several roses stabbed at her skin with their petals and covered her bodies with their stems. Her phone dropped to the floor, but the torch still shined in the murky hallway. Patrick screamed and wanted to go after her, but I pulled him away. I dragged him to the far side of the corridor, but realized all the roses had been gliding into my room. Even Phyllis's body, which was now mummified by the roses, was floated back into my room. What is happening? Patrick asked. Doesn't matter. We need to get out of here and find Joseph and Rebecca, I said. You won't find them, dear, came a voice from down the hallway. Phyllis walked out of my room with her skin now completely black. Bethim's symbol was imprinted in red in front of her eyes. Get out of her, Patrick screamed. Sure, as soon as Stanford allows me back into his body. Wait a minute, how did you survive my demon tracker holocaust? I'm tough to kill, Patrick replied. The demon laughed. 
We'll see. Bathim stretched his hands, and dark clouds began forming on the hallway ceiling. Red volts of electricity flashed from inside the clouds and were followed by roaring thunder. In less than 20 seconds, the ceiling of the whole hallway was mantled with dark clouds. I felt my blood itch with trepidation. With a trembling hand, I fired a bullet at the demon. The bullet hit his shoulder, but he hardly flinched. A bolt of lightning struck me from the clouds, and I was fried by a strong electrical current, and I fell to the floor. I was in so much pain. I have no idea what happened to Patrick, but I heard him scream immediately after I fell. I tried being nice, dear. I really did. But it seems this is the only language you understand, Bethim said. I was shaking on the floor for several seconds after being tasered by the red electrical bolt. My vision was hazy, but I managed to see Bathim walk up to me. We were so close to finishing our goal. Just a few more demons out and your brother will be free in no time. I saw an arrow land on the floor right in front of the demon. The arrow's veins sprinkled out water that made the demon scream in pain and step back. Four more arrows landed on the floor around the demon, and then they all watered out a liquid that brought the demon great discomfort. Rebecca came into view as she raced towards the screaming demon with two pistols firing wildly at him. With steam emanating from all over his body, Bathim managed to kick away the arrows around him and smack the pistols out of Rebecca's hands. He grabbed her by the throat and lifted her in the air. You are supposed to be dead, dear. I need to find better help. Anyway, I think it's best you die in front of your boyfriend. I desperately wanted to get up and help Rebecca, but my body just couldn't move. I was numb with pain as I watched Rebecca's body struggle under the grip of the demon. Tears were already spilling out of my eyes as I anticipated what was to come next. I could feel my heart crackling with pain for being helpless to save Rebecca. A white light instantly beamed out from behind Bathim as he screamed. There was a bright explosion, and I closed my eyes in case they were to be burnt from the glow. When I opened them again, Rebecca had fallen to the floor and was coughing while holding her neck. Phyllis was also lying on the floor a few feet from Rebecca, but her body was no longer black. Standing close to Phyllis was the maid-looking lady. She was holding a silver vase ornament with black markings I couldn't quite make out. She put down the vase and picked up a black laptop. She opened it. I was finally able to take control of my body and I sat up. I saw Patrick also rising from the cracked wall on my left. I looked at the laptop screen held by the maid lady. Seated in front of violent flames was none other than Budsturgia. The demon's voice was elegant as ever, but it brought winter to my stomach when she said, That's now two favors you owe me. About Daniel, Part 5 by Sunfred Well, folks, that's our story tonight. Rothrick and I hope you enjoyed it. We sure had a great time bringing it to you, and we really appreciate you listening. Tune in next week when we bring you another chilling tale from the dark chamber. And just a note, if you're an aspiring author and you want your story read here on Tales from the Dark Chamber, send us a note at talesfromthedarkchamber at gmail.com. If it creeps old Rothrick out enough, we'll air it. And subscribe to our podcast for notification of our next new episode or subscribe to our YouTube channel at Tales from the Dark Chamber and follow us on Instagram or Twitter. If you want your story read for your own use or you just want to have it, check out my website at woodygvoiceover.net. You can order there. 
or you can find me on Upwork as Woody G. And again, thank you for listening tonight.